Um, another thing with this other NPC, I forget, he's like a boy and he's like talking to his sister. But what he oh, says dude, to her, I totally missed that. What he says to her is, "You look just like Yuna," and she looks nothing like Yuna. And Waka is saying that Chapu looks just like Titus, and he looks nothing like Titus. So these well, people's like definition of what it means to look just like someone <laughs> is extremely loose. <laughs> yes. And it's I'm trying like, to think of you what... have arms and legs. You look just like my brother <laughs> and, and hair and eyes. Yeah. So. Uh... What's up? Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name is Kason. Last time we left off right as we entered Guado Salam. Yes. There's a lot to cover in this place. There's so much sort of lore packed into here. We got yeah. the far plane. Yes. Uh, or like a projection of yeah. the far plane. Yeah. And the pyreflies and fireflies. Seymour's uh, past and, and the, the Guado, Guado and the humans. The Guado in general. Like, yeah. what's their deal, right? Whole lot going on here. So, yeah. We're probably going to end up splitting this into two episodes. I had originally thought we'd get up through um, the Makalania Temple and finish yeah. the boss there. I'm starting to think that's probably not going to happen. We are going to do a little shorter episodes this time uh, for two reasons. Um, one, there's kind of a lot of things going on behind the scene, but two, I'm actually recovering from a pretty intensive medical procedure that happened this week. I am not comfortable at all. Yeah. So we'll see how long <laughs> I can go here. But um, anyway, so sorry about that. The next two weeks will be maybe a little shorter, but we'll get back to speed after that. So since we're on the timer, let's just hit it up. Okay. You enter Guado Salam, and you're met there by Trummel Guado, I think his name is. He's like yeah. the advisor or butler of Seymour. <laughs> um, the butler. He, he tries to like grab Yuna and be like, come, he's yes. waiting for you. Yes. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop, who are you, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm sorry, he explains himself. Seymour's waiting for you at his manor. Uh, come and speak to him kind of yeah. thing. Do the Guado remind you of the Shumi a little bit from Final Fantasy VIII? I didn't make that connection. You didn't? But, uh, they got those big hands. Oh, the big hands. Right? They got That's big true. hands. That's true. And they've got those robes. And there's yes. a, it's mostly the hands. The hands are definitely. I didn't make that connection. Yeah. Yes. It's funny. It's interesting to look at the Guado too. They have long arms, meaning they can reach far, right? They have big hands, meaning they can hold and manipulate things and objects, just like a big head would imply intelligence or pride. Sure, big yeah. hands means they have hands places. <laughs> They're doing things. <laughs> hands like in things. In things, yeah. They have their hands in situations. Um, long legs mean quick and efficient travel, whatever. Long arms and big hands imply reach and ability to manipulate, right? Yeah. And it also means strength. If I were to say that Henry Ford had a big hand in the invention of the assembly line, mm -hmm. Telling him yeah, right. the size of Henry Ford's hands are big. Yes, Henry, right. Henry Ford, right? Henry yeah, Ford. Henry Ford. Anyways, um, so the Guado live amongst the trees and nature. Their hair's green. They have mm. like elf ears. There's only a few people who you actually see their ears, but yeah. they're pointy. They're pointy yeah. elf ears. So they're mm. like a, a nature type, like almost like Ents, yeah. right? like little tree beard people. They're like a combination of an Ent and an elf. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but so their hair's green, signifying a oneness with nature, though in seeming defiance of that nature, they are the most clothed people in the entire game. Mm. All the way, like wrist to neck, neck to ankles, well, feet, I don't even see their feet, like all the way. They're completely 
covering up their bodies. I was actually talking about this on the streams that I do with the patrons. Like, you know, looking at Seymour's design over the years, I've yeah. always been distracted by his hair and his face and things yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. And I had never actually looked at his hands that closely. Oh, yes, yes. Partially I've been they're looking at that. Partially covered by his sleeves, anyways. Yes, yeah. But that was when I looked at it and went, oh, now he looks a lot less human to me now yes. that I've seen his it's the hands. hands. But it's almost like the sleeves are covering. It's like he's kind of trying to cover up his guado ness. Yeah. It's like he doesn't really love the guado part of him. Yeah. Something gives me that vibe a little <laughs> bit. Um, also, then I have, um, yeah, the Guado are the most clothed people in the game. Now, some people in the comments um, have mentioned here and there about whether or not we will comment on how, how clothed certain people are oh. in a positive or negative light, <laughs> right? Um, but it's, it's important to understanding characters as well. Like, yeah. as you mentioned before, with the way that Donna's dress might actually imply something to her character as opposed to just... Yeah. You know, the surface level thing. So I, I still feel like it's important to call out. Um, Seymour, it's funny because he's half Guado and he is the least clothed of all the Yeah, he's Guado. got like open bare chest. Yes. Yeah. He, he shows more of his nature, you can say. Um, and that almost seems like a rejection of the Guado culture because clothing is culture, mm. right? You put the robes on you, that, that's the culture of wherever you're from that you're endowing yourself with, right? Mm. So the Guado never show anything but their hands and head. That's it. So they're one with nature, but they're also entirely clothed in culture, revealing very little of their own nature. So uh, Seymour being only half Guado, he is like Yuna, and he's mixed race. And with that, uh, in the artist rendition comes conflict, right? He's got one foot in each world, and that kind of shows in his appearance as well. Yeah. Um, the idea of having big hands, this is an interesting thing. This is kind of, this is a big thing in Korea. It's not as big a thing in Japan, but it's still a thing, right? To comment on somebody's the size of someone's hands is also to say that they are generous, right? Oh. Say, oh, you, you have very big hands, right? Yeah. This person has big hands. That would be a way of implying that they're very generous as well. Mm. So anyways, there's a lot going on here, but that's those are my initial thoughts on seeing the guado here yeah. and um, the notes I took down. Nice. Yeah, so before going into the manor, um, I kind of stopped by in the little inn sort of section oh, yeah. and talked to Machen over there. Yeah, yeah. You get some really interesting details about the far plane and pyreflies from his perspective or what, from what he knows, right? Um, so to kind of like briefly summarize, the far plane is essentially like the afterlife of the world of spirit. Yes, like the and, spirit world. Yeah. yeah, and we'll actually get to go there or see a projection of it. A in projection, a that's important, yeah. Um, but what he says about pyreflies in particular is really interesting to note. So I want to read what he says here. Uh, he says, they may be called pyreflies, and these are, of course, the little lights we've been talking about. Yeah, the little fairies. Around, right? Yeah. They may be called pyreflies, but they aren't really flies, you see. They're those lights you see whenever a fiend dies. The little fellows are responsible for a few fantastic phenomena. Visions of the past. Mm -hmm. Spheres. We're going to learn more about spheres today, too. Yeah, this episode. Fiends. These are all the pyreflies doing. In fact, pyreflies have something to do with aeons, too. The dreams of the faith reach through the spirit of the summoner, and that which is unreal becomes real for all to see. It becomes realized. So the pyreflies are realizing agents of the abstract, like, ideal 
um, unseen, invisible world yeah. becomes realized through yeah. the fireflies. Yeah. They like meet. They're the earthly substance that meets the abstract and then like concretizes it, realizes yes. it. Now this is something that if this is your first time playing the game, really important to understand about the nature of aeons. Yeah. In order to understand this game by the time you're done playing it. Okay. <laughs> um, because maybe you've played other Final Fantasy games or other RPGs where you summon things and it's like maybe this is coming from some other plane. Yes. Or something like that. Exactly. Aeons in the world of Final Fantasy X are more like an abstract concept, something that is unreal, yeah. that is made real through through the faith and summoners and pyreflies. The three of them so have a relationship. This is the, the idea of a symbol, right? So you have the two sides of a thing, but then the symbol's like the thing in the middle that connects them. Yes. Right? That's the pyreflies. Yes. Yeah. So I'll read this part again. The dreams of the faith... Actually, let me start one sentence back. In fact, pyreflies may have something to do with aeons, too. The dreams of the faith reach through the spirit of the summoner, and that which is unreal becomes real for all to see. I love it. So that is how the description of the process of summoning an aeon is described by Machen. Hmm. And that's going to be important to understand, right? It's, it's not maybe like a summoning in the sense that you're used to in other world, fantasy worlds or something like that. Um, so I just want to point that out. Just understand that's how summoning works in this game. Okay? Cool. Um, all right. As for the far plane, let me see if there's anything there I want to mention right now. I didn't go there until after we met with Seymour. Yeah, I'm just going to... Just describe what it is. Oh, I see. Yes. So, let me just read what the, uh, the wiki says about it. Mm. The Far Plane is a location in the world of Spira in Final Fantasy X. An underworld, it is the gathering place for the dead. Spirits enter the Far Plane either after they've been sent uh, by one of the summoners or a sender, or after they have accepted their death. Those not sent to the Far Plane may remain on the mortal plane as an unsent, or fiends. Both types uh, able to send themselves by fulfilling a purpose failed to do in life. So It's very Japanese, by the way, with yeah. their idea of, the, of what a spirit is, right? Yeah. What a, a mamono is, yeah. is something that, you know, the spirits, they linger here and they can be sent or they can accept their fate and go on, otherwise they stay on Earth. That's yeah. a very Shinto kind yeah. of thing. By the way, I said the word mamono. That's the word they use for fiend. Oh. In Japanese. Okay. Do you remember mamono? Do you remember me saying that word? Yes. The near automata, those are shades. Yes. Now, and remember what I said about the word where it was like, it's just a normal word in Japanese. <laughs> it's not like this, the word shade is a really creative oh, like sure. idea of, of, you know, like mentioning, oh, this is a monster. But the word in Japanese is just mamono, which means evil spirit right it's just yeah. and it's this that same word mamono it's it's elsewhere uh, it's in other games we play too but um basically it's it's always translated in this really creative way in mm. these english games that we play yeah and they never say what it actually what the word actually would be in japan but and i i was critical i think in near i was a little bit critical about the fact that they use what was it like um, the word for like grimoire vice, right? Oh, right. Just in Japanese, it just means white book. Yes. 
Right, but then we come up with grimoire in English. It's like, oh, we take out this word and then a different language or whatever. But in Japanese, it's white book. And then the yeah. enemies are just... Well, in Final Fantasy X, we call them fiends, right? But I'm realizing something that maybe I was a little too critical back in our near um, podcast because um, the word mamono in Japan, while it does mean evil spirit or demon just in general, it doesn't conjure the same imagery in the Western mind as it does in Japan. Sure. What a demon or an evil spirit is in Japan isn't like this see-through ghost kind of thing that we think of here, or this like devil with horns or whatever. Or that um, Titus thinks of when he's like, wait a minute, and he's like, for a second before they go into the far pit, remember, and he gets uh-huh. the dark, and he just sees those like ghost <laughs> yes. things, and yes. he's like, what are you, you know, imagining, uh, Waka? Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's not, it, it, so the way a Japanese person would think when they hear Mamono is like the the Japanese, you know, the yokai, the spirit of a thing. Yeah, right. but it's a demon spirit, but it's a, it's an actual manifestation of a physical body. Generally speaking, they don't have feet, by the way. Oh. A, an evil spirit in Japanese, the way you can tell it's an evil spirit isn't through the ghostly stuff like here in the West. You you look at their feet and see if they're standing on the ground. Oh. Do, you remember, do you remember the movie The Eye? Yes. By the way, where remember the... Yes, yes, that's part of it, where she's okay. freaked out. Not just because she's there, but she looks down and sees... I can't remember if she was in the air or if she didn't have feet, but either way, that's, that's the idea there. Okay. That's a lot of words <laughs> to say that that word actually, it makes sense that they don't just translate it so straight into English and why they just leave it as just the normal word in Japanese. Yeah. Because that's the bright word in Japanese. They think of this kind of, of fiends or shades or whatever. They think of, of something a little bit more along the lines of the enemies in video games when they, we talk about you know the mamono in Japan. Whereas... In uh, you know, in Western countries, we think of a demon, and we're just like, I don't know, it just doesn't work the same. It just feels different. It yeah. feels a little too different. It's a different. Uh, so you got to creatively context. kind of make a new word, you know, that yeah. can describe what they are. That's not what the Japanese word is. But. Yeah. So just a couple things I wanted to point out there about the far plane that are important to remember. Okay. So when when people die in this world, they need to be sent to the far plane by yes. a summoner or a sender, right? That's one way that the souls get there. Mm -hmm. The other way is if the person accepted their death in life. So they had already accepted death before they died. This will be important in uh, just a minute. Pretty soon. But also, those who are not sent or who have this really important purpose they feel is unfulfilled or an attachment to the world can stay in the world as fiends. So that's kind of the way the mythology of this world and the far plane works. So they have access to the far plane through a projection here in Guadalajara. There's like yeah. a way that you can visit the far plane and speak to the souls of the dead. Now, what Machen brings up in this conversation with him is that there is some contention. The Albed have a different view Oh, yeah. On what you're really seeing when you go there. Yes, exactly. The Albed don't believe that it's actually the souls of the dead in the far plane. Yes. They believe that fire or fireflies go there, but that they react to the memories of the people. So when you're there and you're thinking about a loved one you've lost, that the fireflies will just sort of project the image of that person from your memory you to have, you, yes. but it's not really yeah. the person's soul. So in that sense, you would be going up and talking to somebody, 
and you're basically talking to yourself. Yes. You're having a, a conversation with, with your yourself. thought of what that But you can is. see the projection talking back to you. Yes. And that may be helpful. In fact, I even wonder if they do talk because they never show that. It's yeah, always like, it's always Waka talking to Chapu, but Chapu just kind of stands there. Yeah, he doesn't talk back. And like, same with Yuna's parents and like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I'm yeah, not saying yeah. that that is the case. It could be very well be the case. They yeah, just didn't animate that says. in the game or whatever. Right. But that's the... The, uh, the what's the word I'm looking for? That's the impression I got. No. Was like, it's just this image of the person and then they just sit there talking to <laughs> a projection, basically. Yeah. Um, whether they talk back, I'm actually not entirely sure. Um, but I know that Yuna does say, I'm gonna go talk to my father in the far plane to like get some advice. So like, maybe they do, but uh, at least it doesn't show that happening at any point during the playthrough we've done so far. Gotcha. Anyways. Basically what you're doing is you're walking into the far plane. <laughs> We're skipping over a, a we'll go. Thing. We'll go but back to it. What you're doing, you're walking in there and you are summoning yes. a person. It's right? like from your it's memory or your dream, right? Yes. It's like you're summoning and the you fireflies. And you use your mental power, powers and the fireflies will make real yes. your... Yes. You're summoned, That's right? exactly right. Yeah. The last thing that Machen says there, right, is um, the thing about the Albed theory that is so suspect mm -hmm. is that they never, when people go to the far plane, it's only dead people that ever get projected. If you're having a memory of a person who's alive, yeah, that's they the weird don't part. appear. See, and that's the part that maybe the Albed theory doesn't... Yes, um, that might not be correct right. at all. Th there's something real here. It, it may not be completely real, but there is something real. Because yeah. if it's only internal, some idea that just gets projected back to you from your own internal heart or mind, um, then there shouldn't be any issue with showing you somebody who already exists, who's right. still alive, right? right? So there's some type of conflict there. Yeah. So it, this is something that this team is, um, they do on purpose. They, they, yeah. they leave certain points of lore vague on purpose yeah. in order to get fans talking and debating about, oh, what about this and creating like theories, theory yeah. crafting. They really like fans to do that. Um, and that's really kind of carried on in the games they've done after this in particular. Hmm. So um, it would be nice, it'll be nice to see what people's theories and thoughts are on this particular issue, whether yeah. the far plane does have actual souls or whether they're just projecting memories. Mm. Uh, in the comments, we will read those, you know, probably two podcasts after this um, and kind of see what people think on that. But um, it's it, they, they purposely create like a conflict between the two um, points of view on this. Yeah. And they don't answer the question. No, no. Right? Yeah, that's so, true. So anyways, that, they kind of do that a lot in this game. But okay. Hmm. Now, now that we understand what it is, uh, before you even go there, you go to see Seymour first in his manner. And uh, when you enter into the room, um, they make a point uh, when you talk to Lulu to once again bring up the fact that Seymour is half human, half Guado. Yeah. His father, Jiskel, was the last leader of the Guado. And yeah. he uh, married a human woman because his entire sort of goal was to bridge this gap between the two races and to bring them back together. And in addition to marrying a human woman and having a half-human son, he also brought the religion of Yevon to the Guado. Yeah, this is interesting. The Guado used to not be involved in Yevon. Yeah. 
until extremely recently. Yep, Jiskel yeah. was the one who did it. And yeah. this is why Waka in particular really reveres Jiskel. Because yeah. they're talking about how great he is uh, when Trommel kind of comes back in. Um, and, and they're talking about how he died recently and it's very, you know, tragic. Right. And Yuna's sharing like her, you know, feelings about him. And, and so Titus is like, was he really that great of a guy? Like who was this guy, right? And he's like, oh, Waka says he brought Yevon to the Guado and he was a great man because of this. Mm. So that was Jiskel's whole deal. He was trying to like um, repair relations or maybe not repair, but strengthen relations between yeah. human and Guado. And his way of doing that was one, to marry a human woman, have a half human son, yes. and to also bring their religion to his people. Which is totally a thing, by the way. Yeah, totally. Like this is, um, I can't remember who it was. The, oh, um, well, many of the ancient medieval leaders and the Romans and, mm -hmm. and Constantinople and all around, um, it would be they would marry somebody or their wife would convert to Christianity or something like that. Yep. And then before long, they've converted and then they bring in everybody mm -hmm. afterwards, right? But it's like a half-half kind of thing at first that then eventually becomes, yeah. you know, the whole thing. It's kind of right. interesting. Um, also, a couple of other things I took down as notes. Um, Titus kind of laughs as Lulu is offering explanation about Guado Salam and how there aren't any temples here and that mm -hmm. summoners usually just pass through and they don't spend a lot of time here because there's no temples. Because he's like, you're, you're, you're explaining things to me and I didn't even ask a question. Like, Yes, yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Right? She's yeah. just offering <coughs> up. And she did this too when we met Kenok. She started explaining who Kenok was to him yeah, before yeah. he asked any questions about it. Mm. So she's starting, and, and I really liked Titus's, uh response to this because she's yes. like oh would you rather I not do that he's like no that's not it maybe you finally believe that I don't yes. know anything about spirit yes yeah so this she's is she's not as suspicious of him yes and remember speaking. back in um Kilika, I had been tr we had been talking about how maybe there's two ways to look at this she being suspicious of him as yeah it I don't believe you right that you don't know this stuff and you have some ulterior motive for pursuing Yuna or whatever, and yeah. I, I, I don't trust you being one thing. Mm. The other being you're not competent and I'm <laughs> kind of dumb and I don't like you. Not, yeah, not very It smart. seems that, this seems to make it clear at least that she was very suspicious about him. Yeah. She didn't believe that he was telling the truth, right. that he had some other reason for being mm -hmm. there. So he's saying, maybe you finally believe me that I don't know anything about Spira, and maybe that means you believe me about Xanarkin too. And she says, well, there are many things I do not know. Your Xanarkand is one of those things. I suppose I can't say what I think either way. Still, be careful. You shouldn't let other people, you, know, you shouldn't tell other people. Right. He's like, okay, yeah. Um, also, you talk to Aaron here, and he's sharing his suspicions of uh, Seymour. And Kimari does too. And it's yeah. kind of playing creepy music while you're here. So there's oh, yeah. kind of a lingering yes. foreshadowing of Seymour. And you're in this on. like banquet hall with all this food. Yeah. All the drapes and everything. Yeah, so he's like, stay on guard. And Titus is like, why? This guy's just a priest, right? And Aaron says, those with power use that power. Maesters have power. And I love Titus's response to this. He's like the person who challenges everyone's thinking, right? Now, so far, that's always been in regards to what Yevon's teachings are. Yes, yes. Aaron is clearly not in line with Yevon's teachings anymore. Right. He has problems with yeah, Kenok yeah. and the Maesters, and he's, he's warning him to be where, and he was in Xanarkin for 10 years, right? So, Titus, even though he has already said in his inner mm -hmm. monologue he does not like Seymour, right. 
challenges the reason why Aaron is suspicion of him. Yeah, yeah. He's like, maesters have power and he's gonna use that power. And Titus says, what, or, or wait, are you sure you don't have something against Yevon? <laughs> right. He's uh, just checking everybody. Yeah. Just making it's, sure. It's, it's really telling yeah. about the kind of character he is that he would right. do that when he already doesn't really it, believe in this stuff. It's like he doesn't have a specific grudge against Yevon. He's just questioning everything yes. everyone's doing. Yes. Yeah. He's just interested in the truth. Yes. That's it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and even though he's That's been questioning Yevon the whole time, huh. he's now questioning whether Oren questions Yevon and whether that's <laughs> justified. I like that. I didn't, right? I didn't think of it that way. I like that, though. That's, yeah. That's, that's cool. I like that little touch of his character. He's, yeah. He doesn't have, like, a, necessarily a bias. Yeah. I mean, everyone has a bias, but, like, he's as the least biased person in this game, yes. I would say. <laughs> yes. Um, it's just that everyone around him praises Yevon all the time. So yeah. he naturally kind of takes the oppositional position to that. Right. But when somebody else moves in the other direction, he's kind of pulling them back. Yeah, That's exactly. so funny. That's so funny. So he's even doing that to Arryn here. And Arryn chuckles at him. I lived in a long time in Xanarkand with his response to that. So it's ah, like, that's the reason why I Ten years in the modern godless society. Yeah. And that's why I don't necessarily yeah, yeah. have a thing there you for Yevon anymore, right? There you go. So that's a nice little conversation. Yeah, I like that. Um, okay, now, Trommel comes in. We kind of went over that. This is where Seymour decides he's going to show everybody his sick hollow deck. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable, dude. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was pretty yeah. cool. Now... How I just don't get how it works, but I don't know that it's that important to linger. He on does it. explain it. How how the the ground? Oh, that part. Yes. Right. Now I get what <laughs> I get what they're saying, but I just don't get how he just. I mean, could he do that anywhere? It gave me um, it gave me some vibes of like uh, Bugenhagen's astral hologram in Final Fantasy VII. Where he like oh, lifts you up yes. into the thing and like oh, shows yeah. you, and all of a sudden, but at least it's like mm. a dark room. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it shows you the mechanism that lifts yeah. you up into the dome. With this one, it's like but. he makes it's an illusion. I get it, but but still, he could. That's powerful illusion. Yeah, man. I don't know if he's summoning or if it's I don't know something built into the room. But hmm. anyways, they go and they look at Xanarkand as it was a thousand years ago, and he explains how this is possible, like how they're seeing it. He says this sphere is a reconstruction created from the thoughts of the dead that wander the far plane. So he's using yeah. a sphere for this. That's okay. how it's being projected. I gotcha. Um, the great and wondrous Machina City Xanarkand, oh, sorry, I skipped this part. Oh, no, the sphere is a reconstruction created from the thoughts of the dead that wander the far plane. So yes. they are able to recreate in the sphere mm -hmm. what Xanarkin looked like because they have access to the far plane and the dead people who lived in Xanarkin a thousand years ago yeah. give them the ability to show what it looked like. And they can summon it. I'm sure so Pyreflies are involved it. somehow. Yeah. Pyreflies well, and spheres and a bunch of things are kind of like all related. <laughs> I did write right? this down. There's a reason why the far plane um, place projection location is here mm. in Guadalcanal. Um the, the trees and the nature and the way everything works, it seems like uh, that's kind of attracts the fire, the fireflies. Yes. And that the, they're around this place. This place is a special conduit for, yes. for that type of right. connection. Um, so he so goes on to say, the great and wondrous Machina City Xanarkand, she once lived in this metropolis. And mm. so they're like, who are you talking about? And then we see a projection of Unaleska and Lord Zeon, yeah. who apparently lived in that time thousand years ago she was the first he mentions that she was the first summoner to defeat um sin 
Yep. And that Yuna inherited her name. So her name was Unaleska. Her name was Yuna. She was named after Unaleska. Um, and Seymour goes on to talk about the bond of love between Unaleska and Zeon, that that was yeah. an important element of how they were able to defeat Sin. Yeah, this is his pitch. Yes. He's building up. <laughs> yes, and this is when he asks her to marry him. It's, it, I like the yeah. way they do this uh, because he sort of like leans over and whispers it, and you just see her oh, reaction. Oh, she, she gets so flush and yeah. so nervous, and oh, it's so She funny. just reacts to it, and it's yeah. like, well, what's going on? And then she tells everyone, well, he asked me to marry him, right? And I like how Aaron steps yeah. in here to question this. Like, you, you understand what she has to do. This is like, I don't know, the 12th time they've said this <laughs> at this point. Yeah. And Seymour's like, of course I do, right? But, like, this is a way of, like, uniting or bringing the people's spirit together. Right. Uh, probably a good, uh, like, real-world analogy to this would be, like, royal weddings in England or something like that. Like, people just yes. get excited about yes. royal weddings for some reason. Yes. I've never understood it. I guess celebrity weddings and, and gossip They're basically in the United States. the celebrities, yeah. Yeah. Those so, chosen by God to rule over them. Yeah. And you, they're getting married. So it makes people happy. And <laughs> the idea is that, you know, let's get married. You'll become a leader to the people of spirit in this mm. way. This is not going to stop you from going on your pilgrimage. You know, obviously that yes. you're still going to do that. Yeah. But this is just be another way of sort of... You know, bringing people together, making people happy. And Aaron says, a moment's diversion may amuse an audience, but it changes nothing. And the response to that from Seymour, even so, the actors must play their parts. So I yes. took that down in particular because this was dialogue like we talked yeah. about in Vagrant Story where uh, one person brings up an analogy and another person kind of plays, plays off of that Yeah, analogy. it's considered, it's a sign of intelligence if right. you can play off an analogy. Which is called a conceit. Uh, yes. in playwriting, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just wanted to point that out. It's kind of a nice, really short, just one line from yeah. each conceit. But I love that you just brought up, because you mentioned celebrities getting married, and, and but then he just referred to themselves as actors. Basically, yes. Right? yes. So it's like, well, <laughs> that's the connection right there. Yeah, we got to play sense. our part, right? Yeah, we're all actors, and we got to be played a part. Um, Seymour gives you enough time to think it over. Yeah. Uh, and then I, this part... I know, dude. This part's... <laughs> Really interesting. Oh, it's And I, it, it make, actually makes me wonder what I thought of this the first time I played it. And I cannot remember for the life of me. I what don't I remember. About this line. I don't remember, but I. It's. Um, anyways, we probably shouldn't talk about it too much. Yes. Well, what happens is Seymour's kind of turning to walk away. And then he stops for a second as Aaron is leaving yeah. and says, uh, I beg your pardon, uh, Sir Aaron. Um, or sorry, before that, he, he, he basically questions why he's still here. Like, Sir Aaron, like, why yes. are you still here? Why are you still here? Something like that, right? Yeah. And then he says, I beg your pardon, we Guado are keen to the scent of the far point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the best part <laughs> is that Titus, Titus <laughs> is know, so, right? he is, he, he, talk about actors playing their part or whatever. Yeah. Like, he's not even an actor, but he's playing his part. So, yes. the, the part of the fool, right? So yes. perfectly, he walks up and <laughs> starts he, like, sniffing. sniffs him. Him. <laughs> He, like, pushes, pushes him out of the way. That was oh, great. it's so funny. That was really great. But, really yeah, funny. yeah. So, there's some foreshadowing there, but to what? Um, who knows? Yeah. I certainly don't know. I wonder how much I did know the first time I played based on that. Oh, I love it. Anyway. <laughs> Real quick, yeah. I got to mention that uh, the Unaleska and Zaum, um, Unaleska is wearing basically nothing. 
and Zaum is dressed head to toe in as many heavily heavy clothes yeah. as he could find. Yeah. Right. These are the characters that appear opposite each other as statues in the temple. Yes. Um, this is the first time we've kind of seen them together, I think. Yeah. And um, these are the statues in every temple. You see those big statues that I keep bringing up yeah. each time we go to a temple. Mm -hmm. um, this is this is the first time we're seeing them here. Yep. Those are the people. Okay. Um, outside the manor, Titus is really surprised as they're kind of discussing what Yuna wants to do about this marriage, and ha that nobody brings up whether or not she even likes him. I know, Titus is upset like, about that, yeah. Like, uh, no one's gonna bring this up, no one's yeah, gonna ask yeah. her if yeah. she loves it or even likes this guy as like a factor in deciding. It's, it's a foregone <laughs> conclusion, she does not. She doesn't know him at all. Yeah, and, but, you know, why are we still considering this, right? Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Apparently in uh, Xanarkin in his time, you know, uh, prearranged marriages were not a thing probably would have been more similar to our modern ideas about marriage for love, that kind of thing, right? So he's not getting it. Exactly, yeah. Um, she vows either way that she's still going to finish the pilgrimage, though, right? Like, she's not going to, she's not going to, because I think Riku brings that up. Like, you could just quit your pilgrimage and just get married. And she's like, no, no, I'm not doing that, right? Right. But then she's like, I'm going to talk to my father in the far plane and see if I can get some advice on how, what I should do. So that's the reason they end up going to the far plane in the first place. Um, yeah. As you kind of pull up to the place where you get, there's kind of like a liquidy sort of mirror-like thing you pass through in order yeah. to go into... I love how it's like room. right there, by the way. It's like, oh, yeah. we should go consult the fire plane. Just walk right next around door. the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right there in Guadalajara. Um, uh, he's asking about like, wait a minute. like, And I think this is um, one of those things to make sure the audience is up to speed, right? Yes. He's asking all these questions. Kind of dumb question. The dumb question. Wait a minute. Exactly. Plane is so sort. This is the far plane we've yeah. been talking about all the time, right? And right. like Yuna sends people here, right? So like, does that mean like dead people live yeah, here? Yeah, and he gets, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's trying to put all those together so that yes. everyone's on the same page. Um, yeah. And that's where he has that little weird thing as he's thinking about that. The ghosts. Or the ghosts. Ooh. And he's like, oh, yeah. am I going to see ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> and Walk is like, you're like imagining things again, aren't you? Like, yeah. just come in, you'll see what it's like. Now it's interesting to note that Aaron, also Riku, do not go in. Aaron's yes. stated reason is yeah. searching the past to find the future. That is all there is there and I need it not. So the idea he's saying here, like looking yeah, at looking backwards your to memories discover. or the people that you knew before yeah. to learn about what you should do in the future is all that is there and I don't right. need that. And he, because Aaron is already determined on what he's yeah. going to do. Right. So he doesn't need to reflect on anything. Yeah. And then, yeah, Riku has an interesting... Yes. She actually details kind of what Machin was talking about. She says, you're not really going to see the dead, more like your memories of them. People think of their relatives and the fireflies react to them. They take on the form of the dead person, an illusion, nothing else. I keep my memories inside. Memories are nice, but that's all they are. Now, right. again, there's still this conflict between why... Does, do, can you not see the memory of a person who's alive exactly. there? Exactly. And we actually see that manifest when Titus goes in there and tries to think of Jack. Exactly. And Jack yes. it does not show up. Yeah. Yep. Right? So it's an interesting thing. It's like yeah, if it's just the there's memories. arguments both ways. Yeah. Uh, once you go inside, though, <laughs> uh, I really, really like the imagery. I, I, wanted, I wanted to see how much you kind of got out of <coughs> the imagery yes. of... 
like what you interpreted or pulled from it. Yeah, I wrote. If anything, I wrote a lot here. Um, <coughs> it's a very eerie place, right? So a small circular place with a few stalagmites on the ground. So it's like you're in a cave, yeah. but just like with um, with uh, what Seymour did, you can make the walls become projections. Yes, and it just you just you can see a place that is not where you currently are, right? Yes. Um, you're surrounded by fog and clouds and a hurricane, right? So fog is like a veil. It's, yes. it's obscurity, right? That's what clouds essentially are. It's a veil, right? Um, but the fact that there's a hurricane <laughs> just right over there, it's like everything's like getting sucked into this place. It's like super unsettling. Um, but you're seeing it all from above. And it's meant to be similar to the illusion conjured by Seymour. Um, and you can see the dead here, but it isn't a real place. You go there to experience a projection, a projection of your inner self, right? That's the idea. But then I wrote down the mist and fog, um, they evaporate and it makes way to reveal water, just tons of water, mm -hmm. right? And pyreflies like water. Yeah. Um, lots of water, tons of pyreflies, a beautiful garden surrounded by waterfalls. And I don't know if this probably, well, I don't know exactly what to make of this, exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's pillars out in the distance. It's like, like the rivers pillars, from Xanarkin. But pillars of water, yeah, right? That's what I thought. They're like running yeah. up into they're the They're like sky. vertical pillars, which is which w gives the idea that the water is coming down, and then there's this hole in the middle, and you can assume that that's the beginning of another pillar. So we're at a, we're at a medium, we're at a middle point here between yeah. a greater higher place and a lower place. And from this place, the water either goes up to the greater place or down. It's clearly going down. There's well, like a circle, well they there's like the, a whirlpool. The right? big waterfall. Yes, because there is that. The, that the, the it's almost like Niagara Falls kind of yes. like looking waterfall, yeah. right? Like on all like three sides. With yeah. the flower garden Just in the middle. This beautiful and garden. then a lake beyond that with a whirlpool in it. And then these giant pillars these huge, of water. Like rivers, vertical but rivers. But also a giant blue orb. Yes. Just floating there in the middle. I took that to be something like the moon. I didn't know exactly what to make of that. But yeah, there's like a moon, it seems. In fact, I swear that they mention the moon. Oh, at some because I missed that if that's the in case. the dialogue. Well, they may not have. It could have been just me putting in them in there myself. But then there's the place called the Moon Flow, right? Which is the Moon Flow is the where the pyreflies come from with all the flowers, right? Yes. So you get a million little flowers making pyreflies down at the bottom of the waterfalls, right? And then you have what I took to be the moon, and then um, just but that huge thing in the middle is the important part. It's it's pulling water down to a lower place. Uh -huh. Now where the lower place is, we don't know, but you can assume it would look like a column of water mm. going down. Oh, but this this is watering both, it's watering two places at once, right? Is yeah. the idea. Yeah. And I said with the moon shining above, but I don't know that that's the moon. Well, It's a thing. They actually make a point of sort of highlighting it again after that yes. shot and when it's behind Yuna's parents. Yuna's parents, yes. Yeah. And they show it very close up. It's that it's that white orb. And I well, I took notes on that too. So let me just get through this real quick. So we see Yuna's parents with the moon right behind them. This is why I said I, this is why I thought of the moon. So remember, Yuna is supposed to sound like the word Luna, right? It, mm -hmm. it means moon, right? Yuna means night. Yes. And and as Yuna sees her parents, right, you have the moon or something like that. So I I kind of. I inferred that it was the moon, I think, based on that. And she's seeing her parents, and her parents are kind of, you know, resemble something like that as well. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what I got here. 
it's a crazy place. I don't know exactly what it all means. The the moon thing, but I the think... tons of water, and it's kind of like a Garden of Eden thing. Yes, it's certainly a Garden of Eden thing, except the Garden of Eden was up top a mountain where the rivers were flowing away from the garden, mm. and the fountain was in the midst. This time, the garden is in the midst of the water, and it's uh, it's at a low point where the waters are flowing into the garden. You know, so it's yeah. there's a little bit of a of an inverse idea on the Garden of Eden here, but it still kind of has that general feel. Here's some stuff here from the wiki. This might uh, shed some light. The concept of the far plane may draw inspiration from uh, the Japanese mythology of Yomi, the mm. Japanese word for the underworld in which horrible creatures guard uh, the exits. According to Shinto mythology, this mm. is where the dead go to dwell indefinitely. The realm of the dead seems to have a geographical continuity with the world of the living and cannot be thought of as a paradise, nor can it be appropriately described as a hell. Rather, all deceased carry on a shadowy existence in perpetuity, regardless of their behavior in life. Yeah, anyways, I think you might be onto something with the moon thing. Uh, Just because it then shows Yuna and her connection right. with her family. Right. Let's, let's see what other people think about that too. Yeah, please tell me because as much as I, I looked at this for a long time. Yeah, and I was me like, too. Hey, you have the veil. You have the parting of the veil. Yeah. You have the revelation of paradise, but, but what is it saying? Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I should know this. I should. I should. It. It feels like it's Some clear. Some piece that. But I'm missing something. Missing, I'm missing yeah. something, and I can't quite read it the way that I want to. Yeah. Anyways. But it's a temple-like experience. You talk about the veil and the parting of the veil and the revelation of paradise and the, you know, the connection with the afterlife and all that. It's a temple-type thing, like uh, along the lines of the tabernacle or something like that. Sure. Moses' yeah. tabernacle. But I, I, we're, we're, you know, I'm just missing something else, you know. Yeah. It may not be Western at all. It could be that it's a Japanese thing that I'm not aware of, and that's why I'm, I'm trying to connect sure. it to this Jewish thing. And it's like, nah, it doesn't fit. It doesn't really go there. It doesn't fit. Um, Waka is speaking with Chapu. And yeah, Chapu yeah, looks nothing like Titus. <laughs> <laughs> he looks a lot like Chapu, though. Um, yeah, that's kind of funny. I feel like the people of Spira, because you come back a little later, I can't remember the name of this other NPC. When you leave Guadalajara to the mm. Thunder Plains and you come back, if you go back right away the into the Far Plane, there's actually uh. two more scenes you see here in the Far Plane. One of them with Lulu, with Lulu which is really like foreshadows something. And I'll show it to you. Well, and, I saw a thing but with her, but... Um, another thing with this other NPC, I forget, he's like a boy, and he's like talking to his sister. But what he oh, says dude, to her... I totally missed that. What he says to her is, you look just like Yuna. And she looks nothing like fetching Yuna. And Waka is saying that Chapu looks just like Titus, and he looks nothing like Titus. So these well, people's like definition of what it means to look just like someone <laughs> is extremely loose. Yes. <laughs> And it's I'm like, trying to think of you what... have arms and legs. You look just like my brother <laughs> and, and hair and eyes. Yeah. So uh, I'm trying to think if there's a because there is the Japanese idea of an image, right? The image of something, right? To to resemble something, yes. right? And someone can resemble a thing that they don't necessarily look like. But I don't think that's what's happening here. I think they are saying that they look like you each look other, like, but they just don't. And they don't. Not even close. And in what way would they resemble, especially since Waka barely meets Titus, and that's like one of the early things he says, is, yeah. oh, he's like, he's like Chapu. Yeah. Where it's like, dang it, like, what, how, I don't get it, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. He's good at Blitzball, maybe. That's it, it. Anyways, so Waka's telling Chapu about Titus, and we met this guy, you know, he mm -hmm. looks like you, and I gave, I gave 
your sword to him, and he's like traveling with us now, kind of a thing. Yeah, and we're like, well, and we're holding the sword. Holding the sword, and yeah. it actually gets upgraded in that moment. So mm. it actually gets some new abilities on the sword. That's cool. So That's the cool. Brotherhood sword gets upgraded. It's actually at this a good point. sword, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of like that because in a lot of games like this, your early swords are not very useful know, by the end of the game. Ditch like the Buster Sword, which is the most yes. iconic weapon. After FF7. about ten minutes, you no longer like have you, it. you never use the sword again. Yes, yes. Um, actually, that was one of the things I liked about Final Fantasy VII Remake is that you oh. can upgrade the weapons. Ah, nice. And they each have kind of like different uses, and so it can be mm -hmm. useful later down the line. So there's like a good reason to keep using the Buster Sword later, even if yeah. you have something else. Anyway, the point is. Brotherhood gets updated here, which is yeah. like that key art sword. Yeah. And so you can continue using it. It's like, well, the way weapons work in this game generally, though, um, and the way weapon upgrading works is they mm. can stay useful long term because yeah. um, they don't actually have like stats, like a strength stat or something like that on them. Um, it's basically each weapon is just a container for abilities, so whether right. it's like lightning strike or. HP plus 10% or mm -hmm. slow touch or sleep touch or something like that. And as you upgrade the weapons, you can give them more slots and they can contain more abilities on them. So it's kind of like, oh, I'm going to make this sword into my um, elemental damage sword and I'm going to make yeah, this one into yeah. my apply um, status effects thing. And so mm -hmm. you just switch them out depending on the situation. So I kind of like how they handle weapons in this game. But anyways, Brotherhood gets upgraded here, which is nice because the early game sword is now like more useful. Um, so that's kind of like the conversation that goes on there. But then you go talk to Lulu, and I really like this conversation that Lulu and Titus have about Chapu. And she's sort of realizing as she's looking at him, like she needs to start letting go and like focusing more on what she's doing now. Yeah. And uh, Titus then suggests, you know, in leaving him behind, there's going to be lots of other great guys. Like, what about Waka? <laughs> <laughs> She's not super keen on that idea. Um, yeah. She says there's there's a lot more that goes into it uh, than just getting along or something like that. Right? Yes. You would be. You should learn more about women. Oh. It be, might be important for you someday. I, I took too many notes on that particular thing. <laughs> but um, it's interesting that she isn't talking to Chapu. No. Right. No. Waka is, and she's she's there. She didn't stay back, but she's not talking to anybody, nope. right? Nope, she's just kind of watching. So that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. But um, Lulu, maybe this is a little bit later. I actually can't remember. This actually, this happens a little bit later, so never mind. But yeah, she tells him, she tells him that it's not all about just getting along, right? Yeah. And so um, I really like how she says goodbye to Chapu here. She says, goodbye, Chapu. You always said I looked grumpy, but those were the happiest days of my life. Yes. Yeah. Nice, warm line of dialogue there. Yeah. And then you go talk to Yuna, <clears throat> and she kind of talks about how the conclusion she's come to here is she needs to make everyone happy, not just herself, right? She remembers how happy everyone was when her father defeated Sin. Mm. And she's like, I want to be able to make people happy like yes. that someday. Yeah, it yeah. shaped her whole like view of selflessness. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But, so she's kind of come to a decision on what she's going to do about uh, Seymour's offer. Yeah. So, but then she tells Titus to try to call Sir Jack. Right. And this is the part we were talking about where if someone is not dead, they won't show up. You don't she see says, him. don't worry, he's not going to show up anyways. And so he was like, the more I tried not to think about the more you man, think the about more him, I yeah. thought about him, but he didn't show up. And he starts thinking, you know, I, I think I realize the reason 
a little bit why, as to why I hate him so much. Mm-hmm. After what he did to you know mom and I, and then as he's thinking about his mom, she his appears. Now yeah. this is really interesting, a really nice moment, character development moment for Titus, a moment yeah, of realization and introspection. He says, uh, basically that the reason why he started to resent his father is because mm. whenever he was around, his mother neglected him. Yeah. She wouldn't even look at me is what he says. So there's a word for this. This is the Oedipus complex. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is stage two Oedipus complex where you want to kill your father. You hate your yeah, father. Right. And uh, Jacques Lacan talks about this. This is one of his big things too. He kind of breaks the Oedipus down a little bit more beyond what Freud had done. And you know, the idea is you're attached to your mother, right? And then at some point your father shows up and demands your mother's attention. And this the son hates that. Yes. Hates that more than anything. Yes. And in some secret way wishes for the death of the father. Right? Mm-hmm. Anyways, that are playing into That's that. That's pretty lot much here. exactly what's going on. Yes. And it's it's normal. Yeah. Um, but uh, also it almost turns the perspective of this around a little bit. It's almost like like his dad was tough on him or whatever. Mm. But it's almost like his mother was the abusive one in a way. You know, not it, his father. I, I see I saw that too. I just I don't know exactly how to read this, but it does seem that way. Yes. Especially because he says that after Jack was gone, she yeah, just gave up. Gave up and then she was gone quickly too. And then he it it, so, it was almost worse on her part because Jack left not wanting to, but it seems like she kind of well. This is interesting that you bring this up because... I don't remember how much they reveal here, though. Yes. I can't remember if there's more later. So, but at I'll, least I'll we're now the getting the idea that the mother maybe wasn't the best mom. Yes. Or his perception of her wasn't yes. that she was the but best. But what's interesting is that he didn't interpret her as being a bad mother. He interpreted right. his father as being the reason why she wasn't attentive. It wasn't her reason, fault. Yes, it was his fault. It was his fault. That's how he perceived yes. it. This is very much... The um, the uh, Karen Horney sort of like view of um, um, uh, neurosis with children yeah. and the way that they perceive the events, not how they actually were. Exactly. Being how they develop yes. you know, psychologically. Um, it's like you see symbols. You don't actually see events. You see symbols. And then you yeah. try to put them together later and recall them, and it's not how it happened. So he's beginning to sort of like realize this yeah. as he's thinking about it. It's like, but what he says is the old late. Okay, so... There's, they show a scene, like a flashback, where Aaron comes to Titus and says something about what if she dies or something like that. And yeah. Titus is like, don't talk about her as if she's going to die. Right. He's like, I'm sorry, you know. Um, but then the narration, Titus' narration comes over and says, the old lady next door told me when a lovebird dies, the one left behind, it just gives up living so it can join its mate. Yeah. It was just like that. I hated my old man even more. But really my old man, and he sort of trails off. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was interesting for a couple of reasons. One, the implication here is that when Jack left, that this woman was telling Titus, the reason your mother died is because the lovebirds were separated and she just doesn't have the energy yes. to go on when separated from him. Yeah, yeah. However, <laughs> yeah. There, there was an, you just, you were just getting into this. I uh, yes. But, uh, <laughs> Dude Mackay, another one of our patrons, right, um, was saying that the way he interprets this is that she abandoned him. She left. That's what I kind of felt. Possibly to go search for her husband. Right. And just left him behind. Yeah. 
it almost, I almost got the feeling that he wasn't her kid. Mm. It feels that way a little bit, right? <clears throat> I don't know how that works, and I, that's definitely not lore. <clears throat> that's just what it feels like. It feels like she kind of ignored him a little, but Jack was the one who was like, hey, you know, talk to the kid. And then as soon as he was gone, she just gave up on him completely as though he was never hers to begin with, and she rejected having the responsibility of raising someone else's child thrust upon her. It feels like that mm. a little bit. Mm. Just a little bit. And I don't think that they will say anything about that. I'm, I, she was probably his mother. But it feels as though she wasn't really his mother. The way that she is responding to him gives the impression of something like that to you, is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it could even be that way. I don't know. It's but. just like she just didn't care yeah. when Jekt was around, right? Yeah. And so, anyways, he's he, again, he's starting to kind of as soon as he starts to think about his old man in a different light, he goes, nah. He stops. He can't go there. He can't do it. He's got a wall. He's put up a wall there. He did that earlier through. at the Kilika Temple. But now he's doing it again, right? Where he's like, yeah. maybe he wasn't maybe that bad. Maybe he... No, I don't think so. But actually, no, he doesn't do that here. I took this down. I really liked this moment for him. Because yeah. what he says is, oh, man, I must sound so stupid. How embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been here... Uh, dishonoring my father right. as Yuna took umbrage to earlier this whole time. Yes, yes. How embarrassing of me to have done that, knowing that it wasn't really my old man. It was I just didn't like him because he took attention away from me right. from my mother. Yeah. You know, I, I somehow sound so stupid for this. He's realizing that and yeah. taking responsibility for it for the first time. Really good character moment for him. No, I think it's great. And this is kind of a pivot here. This moment is kind of a hinge, pivotal moment. Yeah. Where he, he just, we, he, the more he learns about his father, the more that he, it kind of changes his perspective. Yeah. Um, okay, so as they're leaving the far <laughs> yeah. plane. See, this is where some of my questions about what the far plane is. Well, what yes. that Guado Salam version projection of the far plane is. Yes. Because Jiskel comes back, as far as I can tell, unsummoned by anybody. Yeah, he just walks out. He just comes out. Out. Fascinating Jiskel stuff. walks out of the far yes. plane into the real world. Aran tells Yuna to send him. And then Aran leaves. He, he, well, he, 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 hangs he didn't back. leave. He, hangs he, stays, back. he stays far away. But he is visibly affected. Yes, he, 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 he kind of like, kneels oh, down. And he like kneels yes. down. And he's I remember like, we talked about this last episode. Mm -hmm. But he's, he's, you know, he's away. And then um, Jisco drops a thing a on sphere. the ground. A, a sphere. sphere, yep. And um, we hadn't, you know, seen much of spheres up yeah. to this point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Yuna sends Jisco not doing her crazy wand thing, universal sending everything around. It was just a single one. Yeah, just one, one time, soul One soul kind of thing. Yeah. And then we pick up the thing and... Um, I can't remember. We don't watch it right then and there, do we? She can, no, she, Yuna keep, keeps, she it. keeps it for later. Yeah, Yuna picks it up and hides it. The, on the Thunder Plains, when you stop at Rin's shop, that's what she's watching and Titus Yes, is like so no one knew she had this, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, Jiskel tried to come back out of the far plane. Now, according to what we understand about the world and stuff, and yeah. they actually say this as they're walking back to Guadalajara again, um, they're all confused because it's like a person like Jiskel, who had ex embraced Yevon's teachings, yeah, would not be the kind of figure to have died and not been sent. 
this doesn't make sense. Yeah. What happened here? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's what Eunice says. I don't understand how a man like Lord Jiskel can die and not be sent. Right. And Lulu says, I would think that he was sent once, but he stayed on Spira. Something, a power, powerful emotion, could have bound him to this world. Even such, after being sent. Yeah, such things happen. So yeah. e if, this, if the will is strong enough, even if a person is sent, yeah. they can try to oh. like, come back anyways. We skipped over a part because this is important. This is about Titus's mother. Oh, um, yes. He asked why she's in the far plane yes. and not a fiend, right? Yes. And they mention, oh, well, it, she must have accepted her death before she died. Right. Right. She must have accepted that, that you know, her, her fate. Right? Yes. So, yeah, as it relates to Jiskel, even after being sent, he, he is rejecting his fate so hard. Yes. That he is re-emerging back into the world. Right. And uh, so Riku says, uh, that's against the rules, isn't it? And Aaron says it must, or it means he died an unclean death. So mm. this begins to cast more suspicion on this um, passing of the power between yes. Jiskel and Seymour. To Seymour, yeah. yeah. And, and when you come back, Seymour's not there anymore. He's gone right. to Makalania Temple, yes, he's where he there. presides as a high priest. Yeah. Because Yuna was like, oh, I'll go talk to him and let him know my answer, but he's not there anymore. Yeah. So it's like, well, we got to go to Makalania Temple now uh, to talk to Seymour. But he had, he had left. So, anyways, cool stuff that they're kind of setting up with that now. Yep. Um, this is where we have the conversation that kind of ties Titus and Lulu together here. Yes. Uh, Titus is upset that Yuna is even considering getting married to Seymour and that yeah. Lulu's okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, what's the deal here? How come nobody's talking about whether or not they even like each other, right? And um, Lulu responds very, what's the word, like short, brief, very much like, there's not much that you can really do about it. Like, this is how things work. And yeah. Titus calls Lulu grumpy, <laughs> yeah. which this is so funny. That's the we, same thing that Chapu I know. would say, right? And there, once again, it's like, yes, they don't look like each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we are seeing right here how Titus is resembling Chapu in some other kind of way, yes, right? right? He calls her grumpy right after we heard that that's what Chapu always used to say, right? Furthering the similarities between him and Chapu. So... This is beautiful. I, this is so cool. I love what Lulu says here. Lulu says that, you know, love and, and marriage and life, it's, it's, too, it's complicated and it's something that she has this idea that she's trying to formulate, but she, won't, she doesn't want to say it mm -hmm. to Titus. And her line here, she says, I don't want to give it words, not yet, right? Because she's trying to explain how love isn't all, you know, rainbows and fairy tales, right? Like love is, is dirty and rough and difficult and you think that it's going to turn out one way and you're wrong. Uh, but she doesn't want to say that, right? Yeah. She actually kind of wants to preserve the innocence of Titus. Yeah. And it's, it's wonderful. So she says she doesn't want to give words to the thought that she's, that she's had. Right. She doesn't want to explain why she understands Yuna maybe marrying Seymour. But the idea, <clears throat> this is great, because this is something we talked about in episode three or four. I can't yeah. remember. Um, the idea of not giving words to something, to an idea or to a concept, is really interesting. Remember back when Titus tells everyone that the Jek shot doesn't have a name, yes. right? It's, it's nameless, right? Anyone can do it. It can mm -hmm. be anything. It, it, what that shot is, is like, it's not concretized it's 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 still this fluid kind of thing that that anyone can enter into and exit out of and pull it and add your own spin on it and do it your way you know kind mm. of thing 
But once you rigid it, once you realize it, once you concretize it, it becomes this boundary thing that's, oh, that wasn't the real jack shot, right? Because you didn't do this spin. You only span, you only spun 20 times, not, not 30. <laughs> However many times he spins. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, you didn't do the real jack shot. Yeah. Um, so anyways, it's interesting, right? So my reasoning for why Tita said that back then was because giving words to something, labeling it, naming it, realizes makes the it idea. Real. Yeah. yeah, literally, it literally realizes it. Makes the abstract idea a concrete reality through the medium of speech. Remember I mentioned the fireflies are the medium between you know the summons and the summoners or something, right? Yeah, yeah and the faith. Um, well, the words, language, speech is the medium between the abstract ideas and the concrete reality, right? The words are what can bring the abstract into reality. You realize mm. something, right? And, and you can, you, you speak it into existence, right? It's something kind of more or less like that. Yes. Um, so um, she still can't accept it, right? So there's a lot of ideas that are abstract. They're invisible and raw potential. And ideas can become anything before they're completely formed and realized. Part of the formation process, the realization, is categorization through speech. It makes things real, makes things rigid and unmovable. If she doesn't want to give words to an idea, it's because she wants to leave open the possibility, the potential for a resolution that is outside the boundaries of what her current capacity is to be able to think of. Yes. Right. So she doesn't know how it's possible that love can be love and beautiful and whatever because her experience has taught her that that's outside the boundaries of what she considers it to be. Mm -hmm. But if she draws those boundaries for Titus, she puts him in that same spot where she is and she doesn't mm -hmm. want to do that. Yeah. She's, it, it's so funny because you, you can just read that. I don't want to give words to it. Like, I don't want to tell you, right? Yeah. Or you can read it as like, I really like you. <laughs> I like you, Titus. You're, you're, you're a cool guy. I like being around you, actually. Yeah. I like you. And because I, I have this platonic love for you, I, I'm not actually going to tell you what this means to me, but yeah. my understanding of it, because yeah. it will destroy your world, too, the way it destroyed mine. Yes. So I'm not even really done with my notes here. <laughs> it's so great, because this is so perfect. Well, just so, one interjection real quick. Yes, What's yes, funny yes. about that is... What? She tells him not to fall in love with her. He, or yes. He, he tell, she tells him, do not fall in love with Yuna, right? Yes, yes. And you get an option <coughs> to say, okay, ah, or oh, I'm going to do it anyway. That. Or, or I the like third you. one is, I, actually, you're more my type, Lulu. <laughs> you're more my, oh <laughs> Which my is gosh. actually a really good option. I really like that one. Is it? Because she says something like, hmm, interesting. Maybe I'll put you on my list or something like that. I would play this game a hundred times and I would never choose, <laughs> choose that, that option. option. Yeah. No. It's pretty <clears throat> funny, but... So uh, there exists an abstract possibility that her idea is wrong, right? Where she's saying, don't don't love Yuna, but I'm not going to tell you why, because maybe maybe somehow through some weird means you, you can still love her. Yeah. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. if I were you because of my experience, but I'm not going to tell you why because maybe I'm wrong. Mm. And that's more or less what she's saying here. Um you know, there exists an abstract possibility that her idea is wrong or that it can take a form other than the one that she has formed in her mind. As an act of compassion on Titus, she keeps the idea away from him, right? Making yeah. it so that what was crystallized in her mind need not be crystallized in his. Yeah. So it's the same reasoning behind Titus not naming the Jack. The Jack shot Mark III, the magnificent, whatever. Yes. Uh, he doesn't want to attach something so powerful and beautiful to the confines of a rigid structure that becomes, um, that takes the beauty out of what it is, you know? Yeah. That's good stuff. That's really good stuff, actually. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, I love that he calls it the Macarena Temple. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I should have paid attention to what the Japanese was. It had to have been something else. 
He's like, we got to go to Macarena Temple now. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, that's Macalania. Now, if you were born probably after the year 2004, you might not even know what this is. You not know what the Macarena is. (laughs) Is this in the 90s? Stupid song back in the 90s that everyone did a dance to. There's old dance. I wonder if I could do it. It's been a couple decades. One, Maca two, Maca three, Macarena. Yeah. Uh, It's a really stupid song. Anyways, at the time, this would have been a popular reference to have made to pop culture. Yes, but, yes. Uh, that's what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Mucker in the Temple. Uh, I love that. Anyway, so they, they head off. They're on their way to Makalania Temple to uh, go find Seymour. Now, yep. I think we should probably leave off there. That sounds good. Um, yeah, we, we come across uh, uh, the girl, the priestess woman. Shalinda. Yeah, and yeah. she tells us that's where he is. Uh, there was one more thing. <clears throat> If you leave Tamakalania Plains, or the Thunder Plains, sorry, and then you come back to the Far Plain, there's those two extra scenes I was telling you about. Um, in fact, maybe I should just play it real quick for you if you haven't seen it. Uh, but the important thing to note is there's the one kid who's talking to his sister. Says, you look just like you know, but obviously oh, yeah. you're better than her or whatever. Something about that sounds familiar, but I didn't experience that in this but, playthrough. Lulu is there looking for someone in particular. She doesn't say who, but she's mm. perplexed that she is not appearing in the far plane when she thinks of her. Mm. So we will get more into that later, but it's Im- I think it's kind of an important key piece of foreshadowing for something in Lulu's character subplot, hmm. which we'll learn a lot more about later in the game. Okay. And we see kind of the first seeds of that being planted here. Anyways, we're going to leave off there for now um, and uh, continue on to the Thunder Plains next time. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We appreciate you. Have a good week. Peace out.